Okay. Henry, would you uh, come and speak to us? Um, his message is entitled Testimony Time. Good morning. When Danny called to ask whether I would help him out and give him an extra Sunday off, being with the youth retreat coming up quickly and the trip to the Holy Land, I, uh, I agreed to fill in for him here this morning. Immediately I started to think, now, how do you decide on a portion of Scripture? If it's easier for Danny. He does it every Sunday, and sometimes he does a series, and, you know, you don't go eeny, meeny, 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 miny, mo, and just... But I, uh, I found uh, some notes that I had made on Psalm 34 for a Bible study some time ago, and... Uh, I reread the psalm, Psalm 34, which Jamie read for us earlier, and I, uh, it's one of my favorite psalms for reasons that I will explain later. And so I decided, well, maybe that's the route I should go, and so I uh, started to search in my bookshelf downstairs among my old books. Uh, I'm kind of a hoarder when it comes to books and paper, and uh, I get my, my Susie gets after me for that too, but... Sometimes they come in handy. And uh, I found uh, on the bookshelf downstairs, I found a uh, Sunday school lesson book dated 1980. What's that? 35 years ago? Yeah. 35 years ago, I taught a lesson on Psalm 34. So I thought, well, you know, here's a book I found, and I had taught that lesson. So I thought, well, maybe... God is steering me in this direction. Maybe it wasn't just my own silly idea. And then the next question is, what about a sermon title, right? You always want a catchy title so people remember the sermon. What about a sermon title? And I turned to that, that old Sunday school book again, and the title for the lesson of Psalm 34 in that, in that lesson book was Testimony Time, and I thought, well, you know, it's not... That exciting a title, maybe, but uh, I hadn't come up with anything better up to that point, so I thought, well, maybe I'll use that if I don't come up with something better. And then uh, Harvey phoned uh, and asked if I wanted to go to the men's breakfast at the Lakeview Church on Saturday morning. Harvey Peters, I don't think he's here this morning, but anyway, he wanted to give me a ride, and I agreed to go with him, and uh, the guest speaker was introduced, and it was John Clausen, who uh, is Ryan Sawatsky's father-in-law and was the interim pastor at the Lakeview Church. He's a retired pastor himself, and he gets up to speak, and uh, first thing he says to us men at the breakfast, he says, I'd like to share my testimony with you this morning, and uh, also shared with us some of his experiences on a recent mission trip to the Philippines. And there's that, there was that word again, testimony. I read it in my old Sunday school book, and here John gets up and he says, I'd like to share my testimony. And uh, I thought, oh, where have I heard that word before? Possibly, possibly uh, a title for my message. And I think God confirmed that for me uh, that morning when John said that, and uh, yeah, I'm going to go with that. You might say, well, that was just a coincidence, you know, and you can think what you like. I know better. 
I think God leads even in the little things sometimes. And by the way, John Clausen will be speaking here uh, in two weeks on March the 15th when uh, Danny Leanne are still away, so uh, you can look forward to that. Uh, after the breakfast, Rocky and I uh, cornered him and invited him to speak, and he agreed to come because we needed to fill in the Sundays when Danny's away, so, so he'll be here on March the 15th. So, so turn in your Bibles to Psalm 34. <clears throat> And uh, let's pray before we go to God's Word. Father, we thank you for this beautiful morning. Thank you for the privilege we have of gathering here again. Thank you for each one who has come. Thank you for the ready access we have to your Word, that we still live in a free country where we can do that. And so we pray that you might speak to us through this familiar psalm. Thank you for the record that David has left for us and that you have left through him. We ask this in your name. Amen. First, a little background to Psalm 34. Uh, if you have any kind of a study Bible, you usually have a bit of, uh, of a heading to the Psalms or to the chapters in your Bibles. And in my Bible, the title in, uh, reads, A Psalm of David when he feigned madness before Abimelech, who drove him away and he departed. Interesting. He feigned madness. He acted insane. And you'll... I'll uh, explain that to you a little later. You will recall that uh, King Saul was after David, and David was fleeing for his life and hiding in caves in the wilderness, and uh, he thought that his end was near. He was going to be destroyed, and so he fled to the land of the Philistines, which was actually enemy territory, but he fled there, hoping that he wouldn't be recognized, and... uh, and some of the, but some of the servants of the king, when they saw him, they said, Is this not David? And he realized he was re- in real danger here in enemy territory. And then, because of that, that is when he acted like an insane man. Okay? That's the background there. He acted insanely. And I studied up on that and... Uh, the custom of the day was it was uh, against the custom of that day to harm an insane person. And because David acted insanely, like an insane man, he was able to escape by doing that. And he came to the cave of Adullam, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, where he became the leader of a, of a band of ne'er-do-wells and fugitives. So that's, that's basically the setting here for this psalm. And I'm, I'm saying all that because it's important to what, what the psalm is all about and, and to David's, um, the feeling of the psalm, what David is actually saying to us in that psalm. If you have your Bibles open, what, what is David saying in Psalm 34, in these 22 verses, 30, 33 years ago, I'm going back, and you guys are worried now I'm going to give you all this antique stuff. It just uh, kind of dates me, doesn't it? But anyway, 33 years ago, when my dad passed away, uh, 
I inherited some of his study books as well, and uh, I have on my bookshelf a three-volume set of Charles H. Spurgeon's. It's called The Treasury of David, and it's totally on the Psalms, and it's three books about that thick. Like, it's just... And it's just on the Psalms by Charles Spurgeon. He wrote a lot of stuff on the Psalms. And so I took, I took that down and uh, started reading. And I was, uh, I, I was really quite impressed by some of the stuff. This guy was born, when was charged? Spurgeon born, I think, 19, 18, not 19, 1830s maybe. Anyway, a long time ago. And I... Uh, I was intrigued by the way he divided up this psalm. The first, he called the first ten verses, the first section of the psalm, he divides it into two. And he says, verses one to ten, Charles Spurgeon says, this is the hymn of the psalm. And verses 11 to 22, that's the sermon. So we have a hymn and a sermon in the psalm. And I, thought that, I, found, that, I found that really quite interesting. So I... Uh, I took down a few more of the newer commentaries that I have, and I found that they, the writers, most of them, divided the psalm exactly the same way, not calling it a, a hymn and a sermon, but uh, the, one, the one writer says the first ten verses are, in, are an invitation to praise, and the uh, verses 11 to 22, an invitation to learn. And if you look at, if you look at the first verse, verse 1 of Psalm 34, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. So there's your invitation to praise. And when you look at verse 11, Come, you children, listen to me, and I will teach. So there's your invitation to learn. Invitation to praise, invitation to learn. I will teach. I will bless. I will teach. So let's listen to David. The inspired writer's words are are what's important, right? God has given him, this is inspired, God has given him the words to write and leave for us. What, what I have to say about this psalm isn't as nearly as important what the psalm says on its own. And so I, uh, I guess my prayer is that, that uh, anything I say does not detract from the learning process, okay? It reminds me of a of a story, a pastor of a local church uh, was having trouble with his car, and and so he took it downtown to the local repair shop and uh, left it with the mechanic. And before he leaves the shop, he says to the mechanic, uh, "I hope you won't charge me too much for fixing my car. I'm just a poor preacher, you know." And a big grin comes across the mechanic's face, and he says, "Yeah, I know. I attended your church last Sunday." I just <laughs> now, now imagine David. I like to use my imagination. Now imagine David and his men sitting around on a chilly evening in the cave of Adullam, or maybe around a fire, trying to keep warm. He's a fugitive in hiding. Not sure what he'll face tomorrow. He's in danger of his life. But how does he begin? Here, he's in danger of his life. How does he begin his psalm? I will bless, I will praise. I think that's important here. 
This is, I call it, David's testimony, and that's why I chose the title. This verse 1, I will bless the Lord, his praise shall continually be in my mouth, is much easier to read than it is to practice, I dare say. Do you feel, do you feel discouraged today? I don't know your situation. Are you defeated? Are you in trouble of some kind today? David was probably thinking, as I've already mentioned, one of these days I'm going to be killed. The chances are very good. And yet he says, I will bless and I will praise. Not only on a good, sunshiny day, but at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. That, that, that's quite a statement, isn't it? Think about that. You might say that's quite a mouthful. Pardon the pun. What's in your mouth? Not, I'm not talking about a wad of gum or, or maybe your false teeth. That's not what I'm talking about. What's in your mouth? What's in my mouth? Is, it, is there always praise? Can we really live like that? I think this is a reference when, when, uh, when David is saying this. I think it's a reference to anything we say, not just continually repeating over and over, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. I don't think that's what he's saying at all. That might be part of it. But I think it's, he's referring to anything I say or you say, or maybe refrain from saying, when God's praise is continually in our mouth, someone has said there's no room for anything else. Like what? Like complaining? Like criticizing? Maybe the speaker over lunch today? I'm just trying to cover all the bases, okay? <clears throat> what can we praise God for today? <clears throat> I'm alive. The sun's shining. Stuff we take for granted, eh? Praise God not only for the big things, but the everyday things, the everyday little things. I found this. Uh, do you remember Paul Harvey? Not the young, the young people won't. I always enjoyed Paul Harvey. I always listened to Paul Harvey. He used to have his daily broadcast. And uh, this is one of, his, uh, one of his stories. I'll read it in memory of Paul Harvey. It's called Prayer of the Factory Worker, talking about praising and thanking for the little things. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for all the gifts you've given me today. Thank you for all I have seen, heard, and received. Thank you for the water that woke me up this morning, for the soap that smells so good, for the toothpaste that refreshes. Thank you for the clothes that protect me, for their color and for their style. Thank you for the newspaper so faithfully there. Thank you for big games won. Thank you for the street cleaning truck 
and for the people who run it, for the morning shouts and all the early morning noises, thank you for my work, for the tool, for the tools and my efforts, for the metal in my hands, for the wine of the steel biting into it, for the satisfied look of the foreman and the load of, of finished pieces. Thank you for Jim, who loaned me his file, for Danny, who shared his lunch with me, for Charlie, who held the door open for me. Thank you for the welcoming street that led me there. Thank you for the morning greetings I've received. Thank you for the smiles. Thank you for the tranquil night. Thank you, Lord, for being there, for listening to me, for taking me seriously, for gathering my gifts in your hands and offering them to your Father. Thank you, Lord, for who you are. Thank you. Now there's an attitude. Praise God, not only for the big things, but the little ones as well. Other words of note in verse 1 to 3 that we could highlight, we've already noted bless and praise. And he goes on, he says, I will boast in the Lord, I will magnify, I will exalt. Warren Wiersbe used to say that praise does three things for me or for us. And the first thing, if I am thankful, if I'm praising God, it will sanctify my life. David says, let us exalt. And the second thing, he says, it will unify God's people. David says in verse 3, let us exalt his name together. Let us exalt his name together. Multiplied joy, shared joy is multiplied joy. When we have a plan a birthday party or a wedding, we invite people. Why do we do that? Because we know that shared joy is multiplied joy. And then thirdly, praise magnifies the Lord. Magnify the Lord with me, he says in verse 3. So it sanctifies, praise sanctifies my life. It unifies God's people. It magnifies the Lord. So we should, as David does, we should invite, we should encourage people to consider God's goodness and praise him along with us. Don't keep God's goodness to yourself. Share it and, and invite people to share in that thankful spirit and praise to God. Verse 4 to 10 shows us God's involvement in our lives. And there's a lot of words we could underline there. I've highlighted a lot of them in my Bible. <clears throat> he answered... This is God's involvement, involvement in David's life, and this is God's involvement in ours. He answered, he delivered, he removed shame, he heard, he saved, he encamps around us, he rescues us, verse 7. 9 and 10, he provides our wants. No believer has to go it alone. God is there for us, David is telling in his testimony here. God is there for me. God is there for you. Verse 5 caught my attention. They looked to him, verse 5 says, and were radiant. They looked to him and were radiant. Have you met any radiant people lately? No? What's wrong? Some of you are smiling. That's good. We can talk about, as 
David does here. We can talk about praising God. We can sing songs of praise, as we've already done here this morning. But it does, but does it show on our faces? If my relationship with God is real and is growing, it'll begin to show on the outside. In Acts 6, verse 15, Stephen, the first martyr, just before he was stoned to death, it is written, his face became like the face of an angel, even in the face of death. And I believe David here, sitting in this cave, I think he had a radiant face in spite of the threat of death. Radiance. Verse 8, David gives an invitation. We're invited to, by experience, to taste and see that the Lord is good. And I picked that up for, for our call to worship verse. I'm not, I'm not saying that that's the key verse uh, for everybody in this psalm, but it is for me. And I'll explain that. I know most of you have heard my story before. I've shared it with you. So at this point, if you don't want to listen, you can maybe doodle in your bulletin. When I was about eight years old in a little country church, came to Sunday school one Sunday morning, and the teacher took a pitcher of cold water and set it on the table in our little, in our little Sunday school room, and she set out little paper cups. I think even in those days they were called Dixie cups, I think. And uh, that's many, many, many years ago. <clears throat> I think I was about eight years old. And then she took out a package of drink mix out of her purse. I, in those days, I think there was Kool-Aid and Freshie, I think it was. I think it was Freshie, it was called. It was, anyway, it was a red powder. She poured it into this pitcher of cold water. Mixed it all up, and the water turned bright red, of course, and we little kids were getting pretty excited, you know, that, you know, give me some of that, eh? And so she poured a little bit in all these little paper cups and handed them all to us, dealt it out there, and, and she said to us, she said, now kids, I want you to taste this and give me your opinion, what you think. So oh, we just guzzled it down, we were hoping for seconds even, but... Uh, what do you think? Oh, everybody agreed this was great. I think it was cherry flavor, but that's too long ago. I can't remember, but it was red. I know that. But anyway, what do you think? Very good. And then and then she turned to Psalm 34, verse 8. 34 verse 8, you can look at, it, look at it in the Bible or on your bulletin there, call to worship. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. How blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, taste and see. And she said to us, to us little kids, she says, kids, remember this object lesson this morning, and I want to encourage you to taste Give God a chance. Taste and see if God is not good. I'll never forget that morning. And I think, <laughs> I think in many ways that started me on a journey, even as a little eight-year-old boy. I think that, that 
that Sunday school lesson started me on a journey and uh, definitely was a high point in my life and I think it was a God thing. And that is what David is doing here. He says, try the Lord for yourself. Try the Lord for yourself and see how good he is. Taste and see. Someone has said that we can see, we can hear, we can smell at a distance, right? I can see quite a while, quite a ways away. I'm farsighted. I can see farther than most. Uh, I can hear, not as well as I used to, but, and I can smell at a distance. But taste, taste, that's up close and personal, right? You can't taste at a distance. Taste and see that the Lord is good. That's up close and personal. Our God is a relational God. You ever thought about that? Our God is a relational God, and he has created us to be relational beings as well. We are relational. God is relational. And so he offers us a personal relationship with himself, the only thing that can satisfy the emptiness in all of us. Jesus said that blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for God's approval. Hunger, thirst. We try to fill that emptiness. People try to fill that emptiness, that hunger, that thirst with all kinds of things and wonder why they're not satisfied. They still feel empty. When we look at hunger, the word hunger here, when Jesus says hunger and thirst, we always think of hunger as being a negative thing. You know, we don't like to be hungry. That, that's negative, right? But have you ever thought that if you didn't have the hunger reflex, you'd starve to death? Think about it. Next time you're hungry, think about it. And, and translate that into the spiritual aspect as well. If I didn't have spiritual hunger, I would die spiritually too. Same as physically. If I didn't have that hunger reflex, I would put food in my mouth and eventually I'd die. God has placed that within us. We, like I said before, we we have this desire, we have this hunger, but we try to satisfy it with so many different things. There's only one thing that will satisfy that hunger, of course, and that is God himself. Then part two, coming to verse 11 now, 11 to 22, this was uh, the invitation to praise, or as Spurgeon says, the sermon part. or the invitation to learn, I should say. The first part was the invitation to praise. Part two, invitation to learn. He says in verse 11, Come, you children, listen to me. I will teach. Or as uh, Spurgeon says, this is the sermon. What does David want his hearers, and what does he want us to learn? This is more important than any college degree, by the way. Verse 11, then, firstly, the fear of the Lord... I will teach you the fear of the Lord, to reverence God. I want to teach you to reverence God. God is holy. God deserves our respect. He deserves our worship. 
and reverence will express itself in godly conduct. And secondly, David says he wants us to learn how to have a good, a good life, a good day. Who wants to live long and well to have a rich, full life? Everyone. We all do, right? We want to live long. We want to live well. We want to have a rich, full life. David says, gives us instruction now how to do that. We often, uh, when we're talking to people, maybe you meet somebody on the street or you're on the phone with somebody, and before you uh, take leave of them or say goodbye, you say, well, have a good day. Don't you say that? I do. I wish them, you know, have a good day. What if that person didn't hang up and say, hold on now. Have you got any suggestions how I could do that? It's just like when, I, when people, how are you? I'm fine. Yeah. Very flippant about it, aren't we? Have a good day. How are we going to do that? How are you going to have a good day? Or a good life, by extension. Mere existence is not life. So first, David says in verse 13, control your tongue. Now I'm starting to meddle, right? More trouble is caused by the tongue than by anything else. So we need to watch what we say as well as to know when not to say anything. And then verse 14, he says, depart from evil and do good. Verse 14, yes, depart from evil and do good. Depart from evil, that's the negative action. Do good is the positive action. Depart from evil, what we need to leave undone. And to do good, what we need to do. It's not enough to just not do. There's the positive aspect of that to do. Okay? And by the way, doing right is better, is more important than doing well. We sometimes compare ourselves to other people. We think we're pretty good, you know, especially because uh, you see them doing things that we would never do. Makes us feel pretty good when we observe other people. Oh, there, you know, look at, you know, just think, you know, you know, did you see what they did or did you hear what they did? You know, that makes us feel good because we don't, we don't do those things, of course. So that makes us feel good. We must be better than they are. They, you know, we leave, we leave that, we leave that alone. Remember the little verse that comes way back to my childhood too. I don't smoke and I don't chew and I don't go with girls that do. You ever heard that? No? That was the thing when I was a kid. I don't smoke and I don't chew and I don't go with girls that do. So that's the negative part, right? That's the negative action. What do I do, though? I leave that alone, of course, yeah? Yeah, that's fine. David says it's not only about leaving the wrong things, we need to do the right thing. Acts 10.38, we read that Jesus went, went about doing good. It probably says that more in more passages than just that. Jesus went about doing good. That's the way we should be. 
And Joyce, excuse me, Joyce Meyer, in her unique way of putting it, some of you listen to Joyce Meyer on the TV, she says we need to, when she, she quoted this verse here, that Jesus went about doing good, and she says we need to adopt a ministry of wenting about Still verse 14, next then, seek peace and pursue it. David is saying, don't, don't think that peace will come to you without any effort or initiative on your part. We can't just think about it or talk about it or even intend to seek peace. We're actually going to have to do something. Be a peacemaker. So then, to have a good life and by, or a good day and by extension a good life, let's recap that. Control your tongue, do good, not evil, and seek peace. That's summarizing. There's more, maybe, but those are, the, those are the three main that he gives us here. I'd like to add then to that, I think he's also saying that, verse 15, I'd like to add here, trust God. God is watching over you. Verse 15, let's read it. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous. His ears are open to their cry. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. His ears are open to their cry. We are told that the Lord hears in this short psalm, uh, I think, at least four times. You can look that up for yourself. God is watching over you, uh, David says, and he's listening to you. You picture a mother listening for the cries of her little baby. Sometimes the cry is very weak. Let's say the baby is very, very sick in his room, in his crib. It's amazing how a mother's ears will pick up that sound and she rushes to the baby's aid. That's how God is, and a lot more. God is like that. And that picture is repeated again in verse 17 and 18. God's eyes see your needs. God's ears hear your, prayer, hears your, hear your prayers. And God is near when your heart is broken. He hears, he sees He's right there. That's what David is telling us. That's David's testimony. That is David's experience. God is near. That's verse 18. How close is God to you today? This morning. How close... Am I, are you, to God? How close can we get to God, would you say? I believe the answer is as close as we want to. If God seems distant, who do you think moved? God didn't. David says he's near, and he's always near. So if God seems distant, I moved. It's my fault. Let's remember that. And further to that, nearness is likeness. The nearer I am to God, the more like him I will become. Then verse 19 to 22 Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. Not from, but out. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. 
He keeps all his bones. Not one of them is broken. Evil shall slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems the soul of his servants, and none of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. I thought the Lord would keep us out of afflictions, didn't you? If we are his children, shouldn't he be keeping us out of afflictions? We could understand it if he had said, many are the afflictions of the wicked. But he says here, many are the afflictions of the righteous. Why do we have afflictions in our lives? Why do we still experience problems? You'd think that if I read my Bible and prayed and attended church and I tried to obey God's will and everything, I'd never have any problems. Wouldn't you think that? But we do. We do. Firstly, we experience problems and afflictions because we are humans and we live in a fallen world. As we get older, that's what happens in a fallen world. Our bodies begin to run down. There's sickness, there's misfortune, there's a variety of problems. It's just a part of human life. We have to accept that. Secondly, I think sometimes we have afflictions and problems because the devil is against us. He'd love to destroy us. And thirdly, sometimes afflictions are God's way, God's tools for helping us to grow. He wants us to mature as his children, whom the Father loves. He also disciplines, his word tells us. God has a purpose in everything that we experience. And Ravi Zacharias, one of my favorite speakers and authors, he writes this. He says, we speak of the problem of pain. It is, is it not more accurate in a fallen world to speak of the problem of pleasure? The big question is not why are people dying, but rather why are you and I still alive? In a fallen, sinful world, we should expect to experience only bad things. But God, in his mercy, allows us to experience a lot of good. That is what should surprise us. That is his mercy, and that is his grace. So in summary, the psalmist asserts that the... The Lord redeems his servants, that none who trust in him will be condemned or lost. So that ends his testimony in verse 22. And he and, and his men, I think some of this is maybe attributed to the men that were with him, some of their experiences with him. They have told us in the most personal way what God has done for them, in spite of them being in a very dangerous situation, praising him. And so they challenge us, they urge us, to join them in their praise. They challenge both believers and unbelievers to give God a chance, taste and see, prove his goodness. David felt it was important to share his testimony with his readers, and that's including us. This is what God is doing, has done, is doing for me. How many times have you missed an opportunity to share your testimony. Anybody? Anybody ever missed an opportunity? 
I know I have. I've thought about that a lot lately. I'd like to be more intentional. So you can pray for me. I'd like to be more intentional about sharing my faith. I look back over even the past months and years, and I realize, oh man, you know, I should have, I should have said something. I had an opportunity to say something. Not that I'm going to sh- shove the Bible down somebody's throat, not that, but in, in everyday conversations, sometimes things come up, and, uh, you know, the name of God is blasphemed and all things, and then, you know, people are talking about this and the other thing, and I had a chance, I had a chance many times to say something. And I just, ah, just, you know, having coffee and just lift up my cup and take another sip and let the conversation go where it's going to go. Why, why cause any, why cause a scene? Just be quiet. That's the devil talking, of course. I'd like to be more intentional about sharing my faith. I really would. I hope you are feeling the same way. There was one, there's one experience that I had just, just a little while ago. We were having coffee. I was, I stopped in for coffee uptown and the guy, all the guys, all the guys at the table that I was with, as far as I know, none of them go to church. So it was none of you guys. You're, you're off the hook. But anyway, in the course of the conversation, it, and it happens quite often. All of a sudden, you get on a religious topic. Now, of course, most of them will make fun of it. You know, uh, this one, this one particular time, they were talking about evolution. You know, and how you know the scientists have just about proven that. Evolution, you know, that's got to be the thing. It can't be any other way. And, and I thought, you know, I was sitting there, and I know, I knew again, you know, I should say something. But what do I say? And, and I think God gave me a, just boop, just like that. And I took my wristwatch off. I said, guys, I'm going to show you something. He said, evolution, you know, millions and millions of years it took, and everything come together, and now we have what we have. Okay? It evolved. Okay? So he says, guys, I'm going to show you something. Let me show you something. So I took my wristwatch off, and I laid it on the coffee table. There was about five or six guys around the table. And he says, see this watch of mine? Yeah, yeah. Well, he says, millions and millions of years ago, all the little parts of my watch were floating around in space. And the guys start to smile, some of the guys. And, you know, what's he, what's he trying to say? And I said, slowly, 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 you know, over time, over millions and millions of years, the parts started to come together, and lo and behold, I've got my wristwatch. And the guy that was most vocal about evolution being true, and he's, he just, he was sitting right beside me, and he says, no, he says, somebody's got to make it. I says, there's your creator. And he didn't know what to say. And I says, if you guys believe or don't believe that this little simple little wristwatch could happen over millions and millions of years by chance, but you can believe that this intricate universe that we live in can? Think about it. Then they start to laugh. They didn't make fun of me. I don't know where it's going to go. The guy's still my friend. I think I planted a seed. I was glad I had spoken up. But so many times, what I'm saying is, so many times, 
I can give my testimony. I can speak up for the Lord, and I don't do it. I don't do it. So many missed opportunities. And so David ends his testimony. He felt it was significant. God led him to put it down on paper. Not only this psalm. I'm just picking this for this morning, but many, many others. Let's use the opportunities that we have to tell about what God has done and is doing for us. And in doing so, bring glory to him. Let's close in prayer. Father, I thank you this morning for this portion of scripture. I thank you that you led David to put this into writing for us and that we have it preserved for us even today. And that David, in spite of threats against his life, could praise you, could thank you, could worship you. And I thank you for his encouragement to us this morning that we might do the same. That things wouldn't get us down, that we would always see your hand in everything. And Father, help us to make use of the opportunities that come our way to share our faith with those around us, to plant a seed. We ask this in your name. Amen.